35 to 31 to 35, 58, and then 69 to 75. We'll go through it together. So it's Matthew 26, um, and then numerous verses throughout that. So here the text says from 31 to 35, it says, And Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then verse 58. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. And then from verse 69 to the end. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with uh, Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. With the privilege of having Steve Kozak come and speak to us uh, tonight, come and join me, my friend. Can you give him a round of applause as he comes up? And it's, that puts the pressure on. <laughs> so, Steve, maybe for those that don't know, um, a little bit about who you are and, and where you are at the moment. Is that yeah, right? So, I uh, grew up just up the road in Torquay, and uh, my wife and I spent uh, nine years on the mission field in, in Mexico, Mexico City. We came back uh, two years ago. Uh, from there, and before we dive straight into a pastor or anything, uh, we've just been spending the last couple of years uh, adjusting back into this culture, praying where the Lord's leading us. And during that time, I've been working as a chaplain, uh, both on the railways and in, in my local hospital as well. So on the railway, I have about 38,000 men and women that I, obviously I don't know all 38,000, but they, I'm their chaplain um, out on the railways. And a lot, of, a lot of what I do is dealing with the trauma and the fatalities uh, that happen out on the railway lines. So just being there for those ladies and gents. So challenging ministry, right? Yeah, but rewarding? Yeah, yeah very, very rewarding, yeah. yeah. Wow. Let's pray for Steve as he brings God's word uh, to us tonight. Father, thank you for Steve. Thank you for that ministry um, and, and all the opportunities he has to be a light um, within, within the railway services. So I pray your blessing upon him in everything he does, but mm. particular tonight. Um, as he brings your word after having reflected on this passage and, and, and sought you, um, may he speak to us and, and, and challenge us with whatever it is you want to bring to us this evening. For your glory, use him. Amen. Amen.
One of the other things that happened when we came back from Mexico, we thought we were coming back uh, to a church where we'd be able to sit on the back row, relax and rest. Uh, that church is Uptonvale Baptist Church. Some of you may know it. And uh, we got back, and not long after we got back, two of our ministers left. So currently we're in a double interregnum. And uh, people looked around, saw, saw us sat there on the back row, and very quickly uh, we found ourselves uh, in a position where um, I've been ministering and had the privilege of ministering alongside uh, your friend of mine, David Coffey, who also sends uh, his greetings to you all this evening. Uh, we're, we're currently helping the church uh, through this time of interregnum. So it's, uh, it, I bring greetings to you from Upton Vale. So uh, Clive uh, Bernard, he called me back in the spring and said, we're starting this uh, series on Christian atheism. And you can imagine my thoughts saying, well, what, what's he mean? What's he talking about? And he said, to, he said to me, what I'd like you to speak about is this topic of believing in God, but unsure you can change. Now, I don't know about you, but as a pastor, um, I come across people all the time, and I include myself in this, when you're going for it with God one day, and then the next day you blow it. Something happens, and you just think, oh, what have I done? And I I had one of those moments uh, just recently during the World Cup. Uh, For my sins, um, I'll, I'll confess that I'm a Liverpool fan. And uh, we were very sad to lose the Champions League final just recently. And a certain Spanish player, Sergio Ramos, uh, was instrumental in, I believe, in us uh, losing that final. So I was delighted watching the uh, Russia-Spain match when they had penalties. My kids were sat in the lounge with me. I was delighted to see Sergio Ramos's face as they went crashing out the World Cup, standing up, cheering, celebrating. And my kids are coming sat looking at me. What's happened to Dad? You know, why is he... He's going crazy. So I was very energetic and, uh, about Sergio Ramos going out the World Cup and at that point realized that I wasn't being a very good example to my kids at that moment. And we see here, don't we, in the passage that Ross just read to us, a classic example of a Christian disciple who has walked uh, with the Son of God for the last three years. He's seen him raise people from the dead. He's seen him uh, prophesy over people. He's seen Um, people being healed. He's seen him teaching these big crowds. He's even believed and he's declared that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. So like many of us, he believes. Yet when the rubber hits the road, when the moment comes for him to stand firm, like so many of us, he goes through that crisis and he wonders to himself, have I really changed or am I the same old Peter that I always was. And I don't know about you, but I really identify with this topic. I really identify with this story. And in the story that Ross has just read for us, I think you can see three brief key reasons why Peter failed. Firstly, he overestimated his strength. He said to Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. He was, he was sure and certain about the fact that when the t- trials and temptations came, he would stand firm. But Paul, uh, Paul writes uh, in Colossians 10, verse 12, he says, and do, he says in ver, Colossians 10, verse 12, he says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's in our moment of standing firm, being overconfident about the fact that though we can push the devil aside, which is often when those moments of fallingness come. And I don't know about you, but when you face those moments of temptation, Satan's very good at minimalizing. He says, oh, don't worry about it. Everyone else is doing it. You'll be fine. It's, 
It's only a little thing. You know, just, you just carry on quietly. No one will ever know. It's, a, it's absolutely fine. Everybody's doing it. You're, you'll be fine. And, you, and then you take that step out from a place of safety into the place of sin. And at that moment, Satan takes it from minimalizing it to maximizing it. All of a sudden, it's the worst thing that you could ever have done. And you're, you find yourself being condemned. And Satan's saying, that's it. God can never use you again. You're on the scrap heap. Um, that's the worst sin that you could ever commit. And, and you're sat there in confusion and lostness and brokenness saying, I'm the worst, I'm the worst Christian ever. And one of the worst parts about walking through life uh, with other Christians is it's very easy for us to come in to a place like this, knowing of all of our baggage and all of the stuff that's going on in the background of our lives and look around at all these perfect people and thinking, I'm the only one. I'm such a rubbish Christian. I'm such a poor Christian. And look at these amazing saintly people around me. And I want to encourage us to resist that temptation because I think if we all held our hands up, and I'm not going to ask you to, we could all recount the times even just this week when we feel like we've let God down, when we feel like we failed ourselves. The other thing that happens uh, to Peter, we're going back to our story, is he, he fears the disapproval of others. Even these people that he's never met before, he's willing to deny his friend Jesus just to please the people around him. Maybe he was trying to save his own skin. But I, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can get trapped, can't we, in that moment of pleasing other people, even to the detriment of our own souls. And then verse 58, that verse that Ross read to us, we see Peter following Jesus from a distance. And that's, friends, that's a danger right there in itself. To follow Jesus at a distance leads us towards disaster. And then at the end there, he's speaking without thinking. He's he's swearing. He said, I don't know, Jesus. You know, how dare you accuse me of all of this? So we see here Peter, a disciple of Jesus who walked with Jesus, making all of these mistakes. Now what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is give you a crash course in theology. So we're going to take a deep dive, we need to take a deep breath, we're going to go fast, we're going to go quickly. I'd love to take you through slowly everything, but I'm just going to give you an overview. And I'm not even going to give you some Bible verses as we're going through, but all of this is rooted in Scripture. If you want to know afterwards where in Scripture it's rooted, you can chat to Ross afterwards, and he'll, he'll take you through, through the Bible and show you where all these passages come from. So my friend at the back there on PowerPoint, we're going to start off um, with this fact, that at the moment when you say, I want to declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, when you make that promise, that prayer of commitment, when you release everything and say, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. Thank you for everything you've done. God sits there with a gavel, slams it down and says, you are justified. You're declared innocent right there, right there in that moment. And there's nothing that you can do. There's none of your efforts, none of your good deeds uh, can earn that. The only way that that can come is through the grace and power of Jesus Christ alone. And in that moment, you are declared innocent forever. And then the next, next slide after that, at the, simultaneously at that same moment, we are declared children of God. You are adopted into God's family. Next slide. And at that moment, we have positional holiness. It's almost like Jesus comes along and he wraps a garment around us that's white, whiter than snow. And we are hidden in Christ. That's what it says in Colossians 3, that when, Jesus, when God looks at us, 
He doesn't see us. He doesn't see all our rottenness. He doesn't see all of our sin. He doesn't see all the mistakes that we make. He sees that we're clothed in Christ, that we're hidden in Christ. And that stands right the way up until the moment when we die. But I wonder, does this match our experience? Do we really see ourselves as being holy people? Do we really see ourselves as being hidden in Christ? When we look at ourselves, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't see the holiness and the purity in my life. But the good news is when God looks at you, that's what he sees. So we jump forward two slides. I want to show you that perfection only comes at the moment when we die. And that's because our souls get saved in that moment when you pray that prayer, your soul is safe. Um, you will go and have eternity with Jesus. And it's only at the moment when we depart from our earthly bodies, from our flesh, which leads us astray, that we will be declared perfect when we arrive with Jesus in glory. But in the meantime, God wants to do something in our lives. And the big uh, Bible word for this is sanctification. I don't expect you to remember all these terms. This is the crash course in theology, remember. We're going to move back to the life of Peter in a moment. But sanctification is, you could call it transformational holiness. We're already, we're already saved. There's nothing that's going to change that. There's nothing that you can do, good deeds, that's going to make God love you more. And there's nothing you could do that would make God love you less. God loves you as you are. You are hidden in Christ. You're clothed in Christ. But there are things that we can do in our lives to, to live within the will and the purpose of Christ. And it is a process. It's not perfection. Uh, sometimes people think that God is looking for us to be perfect Christians. He's not. It's a process. And uh, if you, again, if you look at Colossians 3, this is where a lot of this comes from. And there's two things that if, if you read the Puritans, they'll say that we need to do in order to be sanctified. One of them is the long word again. And remember, crash course, we're moving through it is vivification. And that means that we set our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ and him alone. When you're going through the rotten times, when you're going through the difficulties, the best thing you can do is set your heart and your mind on Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is mortification. And this is where we put to death um, the sin in our lives. We make that conscious effort and decision to distance ourselves from the things that drag us down. And for some of us, that might mean making a lifestyle choice. That might mean giving up something. That might mean saying, right, I'm not going to go along to that any longer. It might mean I'm going to throw away uh, those films or those DVDs that have a bad influence on me. I don't think, does anyone use DVDs anymore? It's all like Netflix and stuff, isn't it? But making that conscious decision, I'm not going to watch that. And this is hard sometimes. But remember that by doing this, I want to reassure you again, our salvation is safe. Sanctification, all that it is, is it's about Jesus changing us from the inside out. So that's the crash course in theology over. I hope that's clear. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ into your life, and maybe some of you haven't done that. Maybe tonight's the first time you want to do that. You are declared righteous. You are declared holy. Christ comes along and puts a nice clean garment around you. And at that moment, when God sees you, he sees holiness and purity. But in the meantime, there's work to be done. There's, there's a sense of being renewed and transformed into the person that Jesus Christ wants us to be. If you read the book of James, James talks about uh, faith without deeds being dead. That doesn't mean that we have to do deeds in order to have faith. But what it does mean is if we are people of faith, 
we will act differently, we will live differently, we will serve the world in which we're living differently. So I want to end by looking at three uh, points uh, from Peter's life here and how he changed following on from his failure. The first thing that he did was he grieved and he repented. If you look at verse 75 there that Ross read to us, it says this, immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus that Jesus had spoken before the cock crows, you would disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now sometimes as Christians, we, we sort of encourage each other, oh, you shouldn't dwell on your sin, you shouldn't dwell on the bad stuff you've done. There's freedom in Christ. And I say amen to all of that. There is freedom in Christ. But it's good sometimes not to hurry and rush through the p- process of grieving. Sometimes grieving is the key to healing. Sometimes grieving is the key to restoration. Certainly any of you who have known bereavement will know that grieving is a hard process, but you have to go through it in order to come out the other side. There's no way to go around it. Yes, there are ways to ignore it. There are ways to suppress your emotions and bury your emotions, uh, but ultimately they'll explode and they'll come out. The best thing that we can do is to deal with it. And just like Peter, I'm sure every time he heard a rooster crow, he probably remembered, oh, that was that time when I let Jesus down big time. And there will be triggers in our lives. There will be times when we remember the stuff that we've done in our lives. But the best thing we can do at that moment, rather than dwelling on it, is to praise God and say, I thank the Lord that there is, that I have mercy and freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And the devil will leave you alone after that, because if every time he reminds you of, what, of your past, you end up praising Jesus for his mercy. Um, he'll soon get tired of reminding you of your past. So the first thing that he did uh, was he grieved. And that is a really important step that we need to take in order to find healing and restoration and change in our lives. The second thing that he did was he relied on the community around him. Now, I'm not going to read each of those verses, but I put them up there uh, for anyone who's taking notes. If you read following on from the resurrection, what's really interesting is that Peter hasn't gone and hidden in a cave. He's not gone and isolated himself. But on Easter morning, we read as Mary Magdalene came back to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. We read that Peter was together. He was there with his community. He was there with his small group. I don't know if you do have small groups in this church. Small groups is a really important part of our ministry. When we, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, it's really important that we go back to our community. We have people around and about us who we can say, I'm really having a difficult week this week. Uh, will you keep me accountable on this? Will you pray for me? The second, the second verse there, um, this was Easter evening. Again, we find the disciples there together. Even one week later, which comes in John chapter 20, 26, a week later, they're still there together. They're supporting one another. And then even later on in the book of Acts, we find the disciples meeting together. And it's really important that when we're trying to change our lives, when we're trying to break free from addictions, when we're trying to break free from sinful patterns in our lives, that we have a community uh, around us. And a small group is a great community that we can have. Sometimes people meet in prayer triplets. That's a really uh, good other alternative. And then thirdly, he cast himself on the mercy of God. And uh, we read this uh, later on in 1 Peter. Um, Peter 
wrote um, two books. One is called One Peter, and no prizes. You can probably guess what the second book is, Second Peter. And uh, in this letter that he wrote, he was wrote, writing to the persecuted Christians. And he says this in 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, when you understand Peter's past and you read those words, you realize of the mercy and transformation he's talking about. And I love the fact there that he uses the word hope. Peter's gone from someone who was weeping desperately, despairingly, to a place of hope and transformation following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then later on, verse 5, 7, which is another familiar verse to many of you, I'm sure, where he says, we cast our anxieties on God. And sometimes people think that's like getting a fishing rod and kind of casting a net into the, into the sea. But actually what it means is it means like you're carrying a big, huge rock and you literally just drop it. And uh, I know some of us, maybe some of you tonight, you've come in with carrying this huge, heavy rock around, this burden, this thing that's just crushing your heart. And the Bible encourages you, just, just let it go, just let it drop. And just feel that freedom, just feel that lightness that comes with falling into the arms of Jesus. So this is how Peter changed. He grieved, he repented, he relied on his community, and he cast himself upon the mercy of God. And I just want to finish um, tonight by encouraging you with these words that come from Luke 22. And this was Jesus talking to Simon Peter before all of this happened. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that when that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned your back, strengthen your brothers. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus isn't shocked or surprised by our failings. He knows the devil's out to get us. So when you fail, when you fail in life, just remember that Jesus knows that we're facing trials and temptation. Nothing shocks him. Nothing surprises him. And another piece of good news here is that Jesus is praying for us. It says this in the word of God, that he is there by the right side, right hand of God, and he is interceding for each and every one of us. And he believes in us. He, it says here, when, it says, when you have turned your back, Jesus already knows that Peter's going to mess up. He already knows that I'm going to mess up. He already knows that you're going to mess up. But that doesn't stop him from praying for us. That doesn't stop him believing in us. And then he shows us uh, mercy in our time of need. And, and some of you will know, we haven't got time to look at it this evening, that wonderful passage at the end of John, uh, where they've been out fishing all night, they've gone back to their old career, and uh, they're just not having any luck. And then Jesus comes on the beach um, at sunrise and shouts out, hey, try fishing on the other side. And then they catch this huge, this huge catch. And uh, at that point, they realize that this is the Lord. And, and Peter puts his uh, outer garment back on. He dives into the water, swims to the beach. And Jesus has already got a barbecue going. He's got breakfast cooking. Uh, he's got fish and bread. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't need their fish. He's already got the meal going. And he comes alongside Peter and he says, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. You know that. And he asks him three times, which of course mirrors the three denials that, uh, that Peter had. And he ends with these words. He says, well, go and care for my flock. 
And I love those words from Lamentations 3, which says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. We need to hear that tonight. His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then the last point, and this is where I want to end. It says right at the end there, strengthen your brothers. Now, I know many of us have faced challenges in our lives. Many of us have faced times when we just feel like we're an absolute failure. Many of us might even feel inadequate. Many of us might feel, how could God ever use me when I'm such a, I'm such a failure, I'm such a joke? And, and those words are words of condemnation that come from the devil himself. Jesus says here, and when you have turned your back, when you've messed up, what I want you to do is go and strengthen your brothers. And what he's saying there is, I want you to learn from your experiences. When you go through these trials, when you go through these temptations, when you go through these failures, what I want you to do is then go and serve the community of God. Take, take your bruises, take your scars, and go and serve the people of God, which is exactly what he said to him in that beach, on that beach at the end of John. And I, want to, I believe God wants to say to some of you tonight, despite the way you feel about yourself, despite the fear and the failings that you may have, uh, God wants to use you uh, in the future. God wants to take you as you are with all your uh, quirks and all your failures. And, and I know I have a list as long as my arm of things where I would disqualify myself from ministry uh, right away. But God says, I'm not finished with you yet. I want to use you. Uh, for my glory. So maybe some of you just feel stuck um, in a cycle of sin. Maybe it's an addiction. And, uh, and tonight, as we go into the worship time, maybe you just want to pray for that freedom that can only come uh, from God. Maybe you need to know this evening that you're clothed in righteousness, that your sin has been hidden, and that you are free. Maybe some of you uh, need to be restored following a pattern of sin in your life. Maybe you need a community of people around you to support you. And I'd really encourage you tonight to take that first step, to swallow your pride and say, come up to one of the leaders here and just ask them to start that journey with you, to help you towards that place of freedom and restoration. And maybe some of us just need to be commissioned out of our pain to recognize that even out of our pain, goodness and mercy can come, and God wants to use each and every one of us, as Ross already said this evening, to touch those that we'll meet in our week this week. So let's just have a moment of quiet as we reflect on God's Word together. I don't know about you, but I give thanks for the life of Peter. Um, I thank God for his honesty I thank God that the story of his life is in the Bible. And maybe some of us this evening can identify with Peter. Maybe some of us this evening feel like we've let God down. Maybe some of us this evening feel as though we're disqualified from ever being used by God in the future. And I want to declare over each and every one of us this evening that death is sting has been broken, that the grave cannot hold Jesus. 
that through Jesus Christ you are free and you are forgiven. Just as Peter encourages us to cast our anxieties on him, just let let that go. Just let that burden, that sin that's weighing you down, let it go now. And even as we go into this week and we make mistakes, just remember that Jesus isn't shocked or surprised. He's praying for us. And he believes in you. And because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassion never fails. And they are new every morning. So we declare together tonight, great is your faithfulness. We thank you for your freedom and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.